Well, Beth and I have now been coming here to Family Life Church in Lafayette for 33 years. Uh, <clears throat> met Brother Francis, the church course meeting in the old, old building then, and Francis and I became good friends, not just in, in church, but we began to hunt together and fish together. He'd come to Texas to see me. I could still see him up the Guadalupe River. We're catching white bass and we filleted them and fry them in the black pot right there on the gravel bar together. Uh, I can still see him coming out of one of my favorite fishing holes with a whole string of redfish strung over the back of his, over his shoulder and over his back. Those are good memories to me. And, uh, and then of course, Todd then becomes such a wonderful friend. Uh, I had some good memories with him too. Uh, like last year when we were in Rockefeller and he's throwing the cast net and we're catching these shrimp. And uh, he's catching them and I'm carrying them to the boat, putting them in the icebox. And he says, how's it looking, Brother Jim? I said, oh, I think we can get a few more. And he keeps throwing. And how about now? I think we can get a few more. And uh, finally, Todd comes and looks at the icebox and he says, we can only have 25 pounds. And uh, I said, well, there's some crabs underneath. underneath." <laughs> so... Uh, Praise the Lord. Good memories here. What Was that Mike up here helping with a sing-along? Is that right? God, some of my best memories here of when Mike used to get on that piano and we used to sing Rock of Ages. Oh, my. This was a rocking place when we'd sing Rock of Ages. Praise God. So it's great to be here and be able to be on this special day for Pastor Brandon. So, Father, we thank you now for the Word of God. We thank you. It's full of power and anointing. We thank you that your Word is alive. And Lord, we just receive it now gladly into our hearts that it might produce the life of Jesus in us, for it's in His name we pray. Amen. A lot of what I'm going to say today, I'm going to be preaching to Brandon. The rest of you are welcome to listen in if you'd like to. But uh, it's, it's for the church, but it's also uh, for Brandon. And so if you would, let's turn to the, the Gospels. Matthew 14, we'll start there. And then we'll go to Mark chapter 6. If you would remember, the story that I'm fixing to read takes place immediately after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And so in verse 21 of Matthew 14, the Bible says, And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Then Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time <clears throat> was in the midst of the sea, far from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was contrary, or the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear, but immediately he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And then in Mark chapter 6, the same story, but Mark will add a detail or two that Matthew does not, <clears throat> beginning in verse 44. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida 
while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was contrary or against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now the Bible says that the winds were contrary. The New American Standard says they were straining at the oars as they headed into these contrary winds. The Revised Standard Version that I just read from says they were making headway painfully. Literally in the Greek, it says they were, they were harassed in rowing. And I think that we often find that the winds of life are contrary. And because of that, sometimes we feel like we're making slow progress. Sometimes in the area of our finances, you know, we're determined to get our finances into order as God would have them and we'd be making some progress and then all of a sudden another wave comes and our financial boat almost goes under. Or in our family, we're trying to bring things into God's order as He would have it and uh, we find ourselves facing contrary winds. Sometimes children can be contrary. And then in our career, sometimes about midlife, we look at our career and we say, man, we should be further along than we are. Or even this present virus situation that we're facing, this evil virus. It seems like uh, we're heading into some strong contrary winds and we're not making lots of progress. And so... There are a number of reasons in the Bible why the winds of life are often contrary to us. One is that there is a devil. And he hates God and he hates God's kids. And he's always resisting us. Another reason is that we live in a sin-filled, disease-filled world. And the accumulative effects of sin in this universe are massive. The effects of sin are much greater now than they were 3,000 years ago. Because all this time, sin has been operating in this universe and the cum accumulated effects of that have a strong influence on us. And then, of course, we live in the midst of a fallen race who have wicked sin natures. You put all that together and it equals up to contrary winds. But if this story tells us anything, it tells us we can endure and overcome the contrary winds of life with Jesus on our side. Amen? Praise God. Notice, first of all, His purpose. It says He made them get into the boat. He says, get in the boat, go across the sea to Bethsaida. I'll meet you there soon. So that was His will. Is that right? That's His will. It wasn't their plan. He sent them. Now, when you're walking with God, it's really good to know that you, you were sent and didn't just went. Or Brandon, to put it another way, 
When your back's against the wall, you better be sure of your call. He sent them. Uh, you remember the story of Paul and Saul and Barnabas. Let me just read from Acts 13 just a moment. The first missionary journey. There was a number of the leaders at the church in Antioch and they were together praying and fasting, seeking God. And it says in verse 2, And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, And being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Notice they were sent by a local church, and they were sent by the Holy Spirit. It's important that Paul understood that, had that in his spirit, because the things that happened on that first missionary journey, the winds were very, very contrary. They met lots of opposition. Matter of fact, John Mark, very quickly after they got started, uh, decided it was real good to go back to Jerusalem. And he departed from them. And they were driven out of several towns. And at Lystra, the Bible says that they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, threw his body on the garbage heap, a dead man. But then the next verse says, but the disciples gathered around him. You know, sometimes we read something like that, we don't realize the magnitude of the miracle. I mean, they stoned him. They picked up egg-sized rocks and began to stone the preacher. And I promise you, some of his brains would have been coming out of where his ears are. His two shoulders would have been knocked out of joint. His pelvis would have been broken. His legs would have been broken. He is a broken piece of humanity. And they take him outside thinking he's dead and throw him on the garbage heap of humanity. And then the disciples gathered around him. Can you imagine that? And as they begin to pray, the skull bones begin to come back together. The brain gets back in its proper place. His shoulders begin to come back into their joints. The pelvis is healed. The leg bones are healed. And the Bible says he got up and went back into the city. I think I'd have gone the other way. But he went back into the city. Praise God. What a miracle. But I tell you, when you're in those kind of situations, you better know that you've been sent and didn't just win. Amen? Praise God. <clears throat> so what I'm saying here is that resistance or contrary winds don't mean that you're outside of the will of God. On the contrary, it may mean that you are in His will when you begin to hit these contrary winds. So you... You start a new job, you feel like God gave it to you, this is just the job you've been looking for, and then all of a sudden the winds become contrary, you get crossways with the boss, and you begin to think, you know, I think maybe I better look for another job. Probably not. Or, you get married to the beautiful lady, wonderful marriage, and then she gets contrary. I mean contrary. Contrary winds begin to blow. And you begin to think, I wonder if I really married the right woman. Maybe I should look for another. Not so. Or you become the pastor of church. So exciting, Brandon. And then winds, contrary winds begin to blow. 
And you begin to wonder, huh, I wonder if I'm really at the right church. Maybe I should move on to another. Don't do it. You know what you got to do? You got to keep on rowing. Keep on rowing. They were making headway painfully, but they just kept on rowing. Praise God. So his purpose. Second, we see his prayer. Jesus puts them in the boat, sends them out across the sea, and then he goes up on the mountain to pray. See, well, Brother Jimmy, what was he praying about? I don't know. Maybe a lot of things. One thing he's praying about is that we're told in the Gospel of John that when after he had fed these 20,000 people, he had made bread and, I mean, with, with, with five little barley biscuits and a couple of sardines, he's feed 20,000 people and they begin to say, man, we need to make him king. We need to make him our king commander. Then we can go against the Romans and we don't even have to have a supply train. We don't have to have a commissary. He can just make food for the troops right there. Let's make him our king. And Jesus, knowing that that's off the wall, that that's not what he came to do, goes up on the mountain to pray. But did you notice when I read the passage in Mark, it says that he was watching them out there in the midst of the sea, in the moonlight. Jesus is watching his disciples as they're struggling against these contrary winds and he is praying for them. He's praying that God give them strength. Father, help them be courageous in the midst of the storm. Help them to overcome. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus the intercessor on the mountain praying for us while we're out upon the troubled seas of life. Amen. Aren't you glad Jesus is praying for you? Praise God. It's so, it's, it's so awesome to think about that. In, in uh, Hebrews 7.25, we have the great verse about His intercession. If you don't know this verse, you need, you need to camp here a while. Pitch your tent right here. In, in Hebrews 7, verse 23, it says, The former priests were many in number, and we know that there were 84 different high priests. They were many in number <clears throat> because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The problem with the high priests of Israel, they kept dying. And they'd have to have another one. And he'd die and they'd have to have another one. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he lives forever, praise God. Therefore, he is able to save unto the uttermost those that would draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's able to save Unto the uttermost. That word save, I think most of us know that that's the Greek word sozo. And it's, it's a great, powerful word. It means to forgive, to heal, to deliver, to protect, to make whole. So it says, because He ever lives as our great priest and He's praying for us, praise God, He is saving us. He is healing us. He is delivering us. He is making us whole unto the uttermost. And the word uttermost means completely, thoroughly, absolutely, every bit saved. Amen. Amen. But it also carries a time element. Not only is He able to save us completely, but it also, He is able to save us completely for all time and eternity. Praise the Lord. You read that in the Amplified Bible and they, they bring out the aspect of Him saving us completely and saving us forever. That's Jesus, the intercessor praying for us. You know, in the history of the church, there's been some great men and women of prayer. But nobody could pray like Jesus. He is the ultimate 
intercessor. You know, when we started our church in San Marcos, I laid my hands on a couple of Baptist ladies. They both received the Holy Ghost. And they became great intercessors in the church. They prayed for me. I mean, they prayed for me all the time. I'd see them. They'd say, Brother Jimmy, we're praying for you. And those two women could really pray. They could pray a black wall white. I mean, they just, they could get after it. And uh, one of them died about 10 years ago. She's the one. I used to take these two ladies with me when I go on a difficult mission somewhere. I'd go, to go cast the demons out or something like that. I'd take these two ladies with me to pray. And one time we, we'd had this uh, family that got saved in our church, and the man had been deeply into the occult. And just a few weeks after they had been saved, they came to me and said, hey, there, there's bad things in our house. There's demons in our house. Would you come and pray over the house? I said, yeah, we'll come. So I took my two prayers with me, and we drove up in the driveway, and normally we would have prayed before we went into that house, but the people came out and said, come on in. So we didn't pray. So we just kind of went on into that living room, and uh, I began to look at the library, and there were all kind of occult books in that library. I pulled one off the shelf that had a picture of a goat head on it, and I was just sitting there on the couch flipping through that, that book when the devil decided to go on the off offense. Next thing I knew, my shoulders were pinned back against that couch, and it was like a knife went straight into my heart. I could not breathe. I knew I was dying, and I heard Ruth, one of my intercessor ladies, say, He's about to die! Devil, get off my preacher! And she jumped up right in my lap and began to shake me. And, uh, whoa. I mean, then we got into action. We ran upstairs and we began to tear down all kind of occult statues, all kind of a bleeding heart people, you know, and all that thing, tearing it all out. And we had a bonfire in the backyard and burned all that stuff. But, but, but these ladies were great prayers. One of them died about 10 years ago. The other one made her 100th birthday in April. And two weeks later, she died, and I did her funeral just the other day. So praise God. Great intercession. But nobody could pray like Jesus. So more important than our prayers to Him are His prayers for us. Think about that. It's important that we pray to Him. But He's praying for us. I can just see Him there before the Father as He prays. Father, Jimmy's struggling. He's having a hard day. Cause the Holy Spirit to energize him, praise God. Or Father, Bill's working hard, but he's not making enough money to support his family. Cause the Holy Spirit to give him a creative idea that he can invent something, get a patent on it, and make a million dollars, praise God. That's Jesus praying. Praying for us, praying for us, praise the Lord, his prayer. But notice not only his purpose and his prayer, but notice his power. It says he came walking on the sea. Now, some of you may have heard the story about the three preachers that were out in fishing in the lake. One of them is a Baptist pastor, one of them is a Pentecostal pastor, and one of them is a Catholic priest. And they're fishing, and the Baptist pastor said, you know, he says, I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I think I can walk on the water like Jesus did. So he gets out of the boat, takes one step, boom, straight down to the bottom. Comes up dog paddling. The Pentecostal preacher says, well, I'm saved. I'm born again. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and I have the Holy Ghost. I can walk on the water. And so he gets out, one step, boom, straight to the bottom. And they're dog paddling there. The Catholic priest just gets out of the boat, begins to walk. 
Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. Hail Mary, full of grace. Walking across the water. And uh, then they hear him as he prays. He says, Father, I think maybe I've sinned. Do you think I ought to tell him where the stumps are? <laughs> but Jesus wasn't walking on the stumps, was he? He was walking on the water, praise God. That means that it's a beautiful picture, but it's more than just history. We say Jesus walked on water. It's pictorial of the fact that he is walking on the storms of life. They're under his feet, amen? They're under his feet. He's got dominion and power over them. Praise the Lord. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with this great scripture. It concerns the Lord Jesus, it says in verse 20 of chapter 1, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. How many things? All things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we say, praise God, amen to that. All things are under Jesus' feet. But let me give you a little, even some more great news. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and we know everything's under his feet. Therefore, they are under who else's feet? Our feet. Amen. All of the storms, all of these contrary winds, all of these things that would hinder, they are under our feet. And if you'll just dare to believe that, He'll take you by the hand and you can walk on water. Amen. You can walk above the storms of life. Remember that, Brandon. Remember that now. When winds are contrary, they're under his feet, they're under your feet, and he'll take you by the hand. Say, come on. Come on. We got this. We got it. And then, notice his presence. It is I says that he came walking on the water in the fourth watch of the night. That's about three in the morning till six in the morning. That's the darkest time of the night. And can't you just hear those disciples there out there facing those contrary winds, not making much headway, and you can hear them saying, oh, this is so tough. I wish Jesus would come. He'd help us. And then here he comes. Walking on the water. And what do they say? It's a ghost. Sometimes he comes in ways that we don't expect. You heard about the, uh, the guy's lost in the Arctic, you know, in a snowstorm and he's about to freeze to death. And so he cries out to the Lord and said, Lord, save me. And the Lord answers and says, I will save you. I will rescue you. Well, pretty soon here comes a dog team, a, a, an Eskimo and a dog team, and uh, comes up and says, Hop on, man, I'm going to Nome. I'll rescue you out, of, you out of here. He says, Oh, no, no, no. The Lord told me he's going to rescue me. So the dog team goes on. 
Then pretty soon a helicopter comes, lands right beside him and says, man, this is a terrible storm. Hop in. I'm coming to rescue you. He said, no, no, no. The Lord said he was going to rescue me. The helicopter leaves. The man freezes to death and dies. Well, he goes to heaven and sees the Lord and said, Lord, I thought you told me that you were going to rescue me. He said, well, I sent you a dog team and a helicopter. What else do you need? Sometimes he comes in ways that we don't expect. You know, you start praying for revival. And he shows up different. Outside of our revival mold. And we say, whoa, is it a ghost? You know, I grew up in the Baptist church. And one of the old hymns that we used to sing... Lord, send the old-time power, that Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and thy name glorified. We did not know what we were singing. Send the old-time power, that Pentecostal power. I promise you, had we been singing that and someone would stand up and begin to shake, fall down on the floor praying in tongues, I know what we'd have said. Ooh, it's a ghost. But Jesus said, no, don't be afraid. It is I. I'm here. My presence is with you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Uh, we, we all love the presence of the Lord. Let me read from Exodus and Moses having a conversation with God in Exodus 33. And the Lord in verse 14 says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. How about going into the land? My presence will go with you. And Moses said to him, If thy presence will not go with me, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and, your, and the people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct from all the people in the earth? What makes us distinct, folks? It is His presence. It's His presence that makes us different from all the other people in the earth. We love His presence. We love His omnipresence, which means He is everywhere. He's around us. He's above us. He's below us. He's all around. Omnipresent. We love His indwelling presence so that when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. So He's around us. He's in us. But we love His manifest presence when He comes and, and, and you can actually feel Him. I don't have to feel God to believe in Him, but I love to feel the Lord. I love to feel His presence. I love to feel it when He comes and it's so heavy, it's like a fog. His precious presence with us. Praise God. Jesus says, don't be afraid. It's me. It's my presence. And then the last thing I want to point out, not only his purpose and his prayer and his power and his presence, but look at our, our pitiful understanding. Our pitiful understanding. Did you see that last verse in Mark 6.52? It says, in the King James it says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves. The New American Standard, I think it's even better, says, they did not gain any insight from the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. I mean, this had only happened hours before. And here they are now. They're so upset. The winds are blowing. The storms are raging. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? And he's just fed 20,000 people with five biscuits and two sardines. 
Anybody can do that can take care of this wind, right? He can take care of this storm that we're in, but they forgot. They did not. They did not learn the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. It's just like Israel. Here's Israel. They're at the Red Sea. Egyptian army about to wipe them out. God forms a miracle, opens the sea, they all walk across on dry land, come out on the other side, the water closes in, and all the Egyptian army is drowned, and their bodies begin to wash up on the shore of the Red Sea, and Miriam grabs a tambourine, and they have Holy Ghost Church right there on the sands of the Red Sea. Three days later, they're in the wilderness for sure, no water, finally find some water and it's bitter, what are they doing? Murmuring, complaining, what are we going to do? Oh, this is awful, we ought to go back to Egypt, all all. They didn't learn the lesson of the opening of the Red Sea. But before we're too hard on those disciples or too hard on the Israelis, how about us? God does something really wonderful for us. Man, how awesome. He showed up. His presence came. How wonderful. And then, two weeks later, we're in a storm. We're facing contrary winds. And we're, oh, how are we going to get us? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't learn the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. Brandon, remember this now. If you just remember what he's done for you in the past, always remember what he's done for you in the past. It'll give you confidence for the present and it'll give you hope for the future. Always. Don't be like the disciples who did not learn the lesson of the loaves and the fishes. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's pray. And then we're going to lay hands on our brother. Install him as the new senior leader here. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you're so good. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that, Lord, when we're, we're, we're in trouble, you're, you're, you're the same. You're praying for us. How to handle these contrary winds of life. You're, up, you're just praying for us all the time. And, Lord, we thank you that you'll come to us. You will come to us. Walking above all the problems and the storms and the wind, you'll come to us. We thank you for that. Help Brandon, Lord, to last hold of that because there's going to be contrary winds that will come at times against him and his family. But, Lord, we're just thankful that in Jesus, he'll overcome and this church will overcome. But we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.